Welcome to the Back to Square Point podcast with your host Chong and Kedrick. This is a podcast where we will have conversations about training, nutrition, and philosophy, taking you back to square one. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy. Welcome to the Back to Square Quan podcast, and today we have a very special guest with us, uh, Miss Jade Isbister. I hope I didn't butcher your oh, last. That was good. No, well done. Was that? Was that? Was that, that, that was good. Oh, yes. <laughs> all, all these years of learning English is finally pulling through. <laughs> um, yeah, welcome to the show. And for those who don't know who she is, um, she is the co-owner, I believe, with alongside your partner of the gym up in Kiri Kiri. Yeah. Um, and she's also a very competitive powerlifter when she was powerlifting. And uh, off top, off off the record, she's about four weeks out from a bodybuilding show, so um, she's pretty depleted. <laughs> but um, welcome to the show, and um, maybe just give a brief introduction to uh, to our listeners who might not be familiar with who you are. Sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, you did a pretty good job of um, introducing me there. But yeah, um, my name's Jade. Um, I own a gym. I think like. Um, like you said, up in Kirikiri, and um, we've been doing that for about um, three years now. Um, it's, yeah, living living the dream, basically. Um, been powerlifting for, um, I started, did my first comp in 2016, I think, um, so a little while um, now, and then, yeah, in the last couple of, last year or so, I sort of decided to try something different, and um did my first bodybuilding competition in April and of this year. Um, yeah, and four weeks out from the next one. Um, yeah, and I, I love it. It's pretty much my life is just lifting and being in the gym. And um, yeah, it's what I love to do. Awesome. Well, I guess the um, your story might be you know very very similar or maybe very dissimilar to a lot of our potential listeners out there um particularly i guess what really sparks uh kedrick and my interest is that obviously very heavily involved in strength sports and in the fitness industry as a whole but a lot of i guess fit people who are involved in the fitness industry do tend to come from a very very sort of like bad background or like a relationship with either exercise or food and um I know that at least from like stalking through your Instagram, um, you know, you have obviously a pretty, I would say pretty rough past with, I guess, with your relationship with food. So maybe sharing a little bit about how, or I guess, well, how that all started and how that kind of evolved over time to doing what you're doing now. Yeah. So um, I guess, so growing up, I I wasn't sporty at all. I I was one of those kids that, um, was you know write my own notes to get out of um doing PE sports I hated basically all physical activity um and I um yeah I I was never like overweight um but as I grew up um yeah started to you know notice all the people around me I felt like I was bigger than them just normal like kid stuff going through puberty um and some other things sort of led to eventually basically um when I was probably started when I was around 14 or 15 um I developed an eating disorder so started off with anorexia um and so basically that that ended up with me being in hospital um for a period Mm. of time um I then developed bulimia as well um and 
yeah, it was a pretty rough time. Like, I think as well as people struggling with this kind of stuff, there's not, especially in New Zealand, there's not a lot of help out there um, and a lot of it is kind of outdated, um, the support that you do kind of get. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it was it was a really hard, hard time, very hard for my family as well around me. They couldn't understand what was going on. They, they, they didn't know how to help me. Um, so I... So, yeah, so I was going to the gym kind of like in an unhealthy kind of way. So I was just going to the gym and I was doing lots of cardio and just doing it to burn calories and um, just to be skinnier, basically. Um, and then I, I sort of started doing a bit of like, as you do, like scrolling through social media and I saw all these girls with muscles and I was looking at them and I was like, wow, they look like I love that they look so strong and healthy and um, that kind of got me started I think on the path to recovery and then I started lifting weights and I I, I do say that lifting getting into lifting is basically what saved me like it, I, I learned that to be able to grow muscle to look like those girls I had to eat I had to feel my body um, I had to look after myself because there was no way I was going to get to that um, by doing what I was doing and um, there's a lady up here called Trish Moldrock. She's um, a powerlifter up here. And she was the first person, first female that I saw, um, like, lifting massive weights. Like, she's this tiny little, like, 49-kilo powerlifter, and I was just, like, amazed by what she was doing. And it just kind of completely switched my mindset around, um, you know, I switched from, for the first time ever, it was about going to the gym to, to perform and to be empowered by what my body could do rather than um, trying to fit some aesthetic ideal. Um, and so, yeah, really, I definitely think that getting into lifting sort of really helped me with my recovery. It, it helped me realise that, you know, a stronger body is not necessarily, you know, you might have to put on some weight to be stronger and feel good and you need to feel your body to perform and yeah I just fell in love with powerlifting and um yeah now we're here <laughs> I think yeah, that's hopefully I didn't waffle on too much with that <laughs> no not at all I think yeah I think that's really good I mean sorry you had to go through all of that at such a young age and I'm glad that you're here to share your story with um, all the listeners especially uh, females who might potentially be going through the same thing um so I think just to start and making sure that what we are uh for getting the message clear, maybe you can like define the difference between anorexia and bulimia because I know people out there might oh we hear these terms uh so frequent mm. we don't actually know how different they are or some people might think oh cool if you have anorexia uh you can't have bulimia because they're like opposite right you said if you are if you if if someone is like skinny they can't be like fat because it's like op- opposite or if like you are hot you can't be cold you know so maybe yeah. you can share with us uh. The, what the differences are and how did like one cause the other to develop because you said you develop anorexia first and then bulimia later so perhaps you can share a little bit about that yeah sure um so i think like everyone's different like some people will only you know won't go on to develop bulimia um but basically anorexia um i think in the like the diagnostic statistical manual whatever i think it, it is defined by um being underweight but i do think that you can have a lot of the mind, the behaviours. Um, 
surround like that are included in being donor diagnosed with anorexia, even if you are not um, necessarily underweight. Um, but basically, it's um, yes, being under severely underweight. Um, there's a lot of different symptoms: refusing to eat, um, being overly concerned with body image, um, thinking having a distorted body image, so thinking that you're fat, or seeing a, someone who is fat um, when really you're not. Um, and then bulimia is more when you transition into sort of like a purge. So you don't need to be, to be underweight to have bulimia um, and it is more like a purging. So that could be through um, exercise. It could be through uh, laxatives. It could be uh, vomiting. Um, so, so that's the difference. It's compensating for the food that you do eat um, by other means as well that's the basics there is a lot more that goes into um mm-hmm. all of that as well but yeah and that sometimes for me um when i was starting to recover from anorexia and putting on weight that's when um i developed bulimia because i think it was extremely overwhelming for me to to have be putting on weight um yeah it was it was and actually eating again for the first probably for the first time it was um mentally was probably one of the hardest things to um, really was one of the hardest things to deal with and accept uh, the re- recovery is, is, is extremely difficult. And I re- for people going through it, like it's, um, so I'm so passionate about this topic because it, it's, it's extremely difficult. It's so hard to, um, to sort of get out of that mindset. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Hopefully that makes sense. Yeah. So from what, what I'm gathering is that, um, the common thing between anorexia and bulimia is that I'm also speaking in general, so I'm not yeah. pinpointing this to anyone, right? Uh, is like both uh, uh, both diagnoses will have some form of like distorted self-image, but how yeah. they handle the that distorted self-image would differentiate between anorexia and bulimia. And anorexia is usually some form of like starvation or not eating, whereas bulimia is like eating and then like getting rid of it, right? Like oh, like trying to heavily overcompensate from what you eat and obviously uh, like you said laxatives vomiting overexercising so yeah. one is you eat and then you try to get rid of it whereas yeah. anorexia is you don't eat at all is yes. that uh is that a good representation uh, of what yeah. you said yeah basically yeah mm. so yeah it, it is quite interesting because like if we look at the if we look at the the foundational layer of the symptoms it's quite it it's Basically, the common thing is that cool. We perceive ourselves differently, right? We have this uh, distorted self-image, and but how we handle it is very different. So now that you've mentioned it, it it actually isn't really surprising to me if someone has anorexia, but and then when they're recovering, and then I would I would also say like because I think correct me if I'm wrong, like anorexia and bulimia because it deals with like a distorted self-image. It could be, is it, it's classified some of like a, it's a mental health issue, right? Because I think it's a, like, it's basically like perception, right? So you see things differently from other people, correct? Yeah, I so understand. So when you don't address that, the man, how you manifest, how that manifests uh, through different stages is quite different because like now, okay, cool. Uh, now that I'm trying to eat more, but I, my self-image is not getting any better, right? Yeah. Then I need to, then you try to overcompensate by like, vomiting or taking laxatives yeah exactly yeah yeah so it it actually is quite interesting because like i 
I'm, like I say, I'm, I'm not a clinician, but like it, it does seem like if you try to just eat, right, to gain weight, yeah. right, if someone's having anorexia, but not actually understanding the reason why that could potentially develop to bulimia because you are still not, while you are handling the part of being uh, extremely uh, underweight, yeah. Yeah, you are not handling the psychological and then yeah. that psychological thing further develops into something else. Is that yeah. what, what happened yeah. with you? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah. it was um, basically trying to fix the, um, yeah, the physical symptoms. And that is one approach that people will take is they, they will take an approach of they prefer to make sure that you become like weight restored before you start to work on the psychological aspects which mm. um i think really there needs to be an uh both better things, approach yeah yeah need to be addressed at the same time because yeah exactly like you say you're 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 only addressing um one part of the problem probably mm. not even the the main component which is the mm. psychological aspects of it yeah like like think like I think that the like say the expression of the physical whether it's true starvation or throwing up is there is a reason why those are expressed in that way right exactly so, yeah uh, while I think it is important at least to me like let's just say if someone's extremely skinny right act like extremely skinny and like let's just say if they don't gain weight in the next like two mm-hmm. weeks they're gonna die or something like that or they yeah. can have like some organ yeah. damage yeah I there there is importance to like maybe cool I need you to push things really quick to actually like get your body weight up but yeah. I think more often than not you mentioned just now that how uh, in, in New Zealand or I mean all, all over the parts of the world I'm pretty yeah. sure Malaysia is like that as well Chung, yeah. because this yeah. kind of classifies under like mental health issues and we know in Asian countries mental health issues tend to be sidelined a little bit yeah more. it's always always put shoved under the yeah. rug <laughs> we, yeah yeah is that people will be like okay cool right now that we I think that she's okay or I think that he's okay I think I'm pretty sure that I don't accept bulimia happens more in females but Let's just say, I think this person is okay because their weight is like up now. Yeah. And then because we don't have the resources, we just say, cool, now this person is fine. This person is not going to die, right? Yeah. And then we just leave the person as it, as it is without actually addressing the root. So, exactly. the root cause. Yeah. yeah. It yeah. is very interesting that, yeah. that, that you mentioned that. So I think because when I was in hospital, um, you know, I was in the hospital and they were, and it was um, very much about, um, yeah, be, becoming weight restored and, and and you do have to make sure people are stable um but i wasn't i don't think i was once offered uh like psychological help mm. when i was in hospital there was no psychologist there was no counseling there was no um mm. mental health intervention um in any way and um you know there was a dietitian but i mean that's not yeah super helpful. <laughs> a, a dietitian will probably just sit there and say cool yeah. like these are probably the foods yeah. that you need to eat if you're not exactly. eating we're gonna just drip drip like glucose and iv drip like food into you until um, yeah we, we, you, you restore weight and it's, i guess it's also interesting um that you obviously not that it was great that you've gone through that i do wish that no one needs to go through this but it also does sound like from from what you said and what sort of kedrick tied in it's like we address one issue it's kind of like Western medicine. It's like, I'm yeah. going to give you this drug to fix the problem, but there's going to be a side effect and you're going to need to take another drug for the side effect. Um, and it's quite, I guess, ironic because I, I, I did speak to an, a past client of mine who, who lives out in America and, you know, part of my American listeners out there, I don't know why health system is really, really weird. Um, th- this guy was literally on like 30 pills. Yeah. <laughs> like a pill to address the issue for, for A, the problem A, and there's a side effect. And I feel like, yeah, I guess 
what you that's got the other part yeah. yeah i mean i was prescribed like antidepressants and stuff like that which i'm grateful now that i didn't take because that was that was just a side effect of the other issues i didn't necessarily have depression it was caused by other things um but that was like the first kind of line of response i hear like have 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 mm-hmm. some of these these pills like um and i know that some people absolutely 100 need um medication like the chemi- biochemistry is off they need it but for me that wasn't the case and um i think it's very much too fast to be um prescribed as a first line of um attack when there are a lot of other um i guess holistic um approaches that or lifestyle changes that you can address before uh medication yeah 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 i i do have i guess a, i don't i don't even know if this is an answerable question but maybe just sort of going down that rabbit hole like so you mentioned obviously you, you we we sort of went through that episode and you mentioned about fourteen to fifteen obviously very supportive uh, community parents and community around you to sort of get you through that time but um w- was there a point I guess where you you personally sort of really realized like fuck like I'm really kind of in the shit because I know yeah. that some people particularly like anorexic people what they don't I guess understand is like they want to get skinny or, you know, like skinny, lean, whatever they want to call it. But then they, I guess, psychologically or like, they don't actually think like I'm, it's an issue. Yeah. It's like, Oh, I just want to get skinny. Like the, yeah. the, I guess that that switch ever sort of like clicked in your head all of a sudden. It's like, Oh shit, actually, you know what? That's actually not great. Like this isn't great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> did, did that ever happen? Yeah. Um, for sure. Like there's definitely a period of like, of denial of, you know, especially in the beginning, it was, it was, I was very much, like, adamant, adamant that I didn't have a problem that, you know, um, I, I would, you know, tell the doctors and my parents, like, I'm eating, I'm eating. And I, and I was eating, but just not enough. Um, you know, I don't have a problem. I'm, I'm eating. Um, I'm fine. Like, there's nothing wrong with me. I'm absolutely fine. I go to the gym because I want to be healthy. Um, like, it's definitely a period of, of denial and not not really understanding that there is a problem. And I think almost probably everyone has to go through that i don't know if you've seen like that the wheel of the wheel of change um like denial and i can't remember what the other points on the wheel are but um yeah you do oh, yeah. it's like you come you kind of come full circle yeah it's like, yeah, yeah yeah at some point there's like that acceptance yeah yeah and i think i remember when i was like i saw a counselor and i would just sit there and i wouldn't talk to her i'd refuse to talk to her because i didn't have a problem i didn't want to be there um you have to get to a point almost, I guess, almost rock bottom uh, to, like you say, to go, okay, I, I'm i aware now that I've got a problem um, and then you can move on to, like, the next part of your recovery once you've actually acknowledged that, um, yes, this is a problem um, and I need to get help for it. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. And it does take time to get to that point. <laughs> yeah, for sure. yeah, 100%. I think being a supportive environment and obviously having the necessary support is uh, very important to help you move through the stages, right? So uh, I do think that, like, I think that when it comes to, like, all these uh, issues, you know, when we, like, Chung and I, we are, we deal a lot with, like, nutrition, right? And we, we know that while that while there is like i'm sure as some for someone like yourself as well who has done bodybuilding there is merit and utility in 
tracking macros. Not everybody would need to track macros, and sometimes taking time off that uh could be could be good, you know. In the sense that you, I'm not saying that everybody who track macros would develop an eating disorder, but there is a high chance of people being too obsessive sometimes, you know. So I think like sometimes letting it letting go would be great, you know. Yeah. Because for yourself, it it does sound like so. Now that we've kind of like talked a little bit about your background in terms of cool, this is what happened right for me at a young age, and then you moved into uh, training and lifting. It's also very interesting that you you mentioned that you didn't really have a sporty background. I'm not sure what the statistics are I'm, because first of all, I'm not trying to discount. I'm not saying that athletes don't have uh, uh, issues with bulimia or anorexia, right? Because like I said, some people might actually perform athletic endeavors or play sport to address the issue right so but it does it from what i'm hearing is that uh depression and like anorexia and bulimia can be quite intertwined because all of three of them are categorized as like uh like some form of mental uh disorder right like depression and you mentioned that holistic other holistic measures with people with severe like uh, biochemistry or hormonal issues that requires those like drugs to maybe increase the dopamine levels and stuff uh they probably there are people who are, are like that but for people yeah. who like who have really mild symptoms uh i do think that like you said once you start exercising and it is shown that exercise is beneficial for people yeah. with de- depression right i'm not saying that cool exercise is the cure right but i said it yeah. will help you know Definitely, so yeah. how did you so from maybe you can share a, a little bit about like how besides the fact that wanting to look a certain way right cause you to exercise but as you started training how did that change your mood and your approach to things yeah. and at that point were you also like uh, were you like also having like additional like medication to help you with like uh, those those issues or do you just like completely rely on exercise exercise itself yes so um yeah so i never had any medications so i didn't take any medication but um i think it's all about where what mindset you're approaching exercise and um it i for me um as soon as i found lifting and i saw um i saw all these girls like lifting weights and being strong and it wasn't necessarily about the way that you looked it was about you know it was about your performance um and as soon as I started getting into that myself it was like this feels so good like I feel like empowered I feel strong um like I'm hitting pvs in the gym I'm fueling my body properly and all of a sudden it was like I didn't know that exercise you know it was not about punishing myself it wasn't about exercising to to you know shrink myself it was about being more achieving more lifting more um fueling myself um and it was just such a great feeling like it was was transferred to all all areas of my life like I developed more confidence more you know self-esteem everything because of what I was achieving in the gym um and I think a lot of women when they first get into like lifting um it's the same thing they're like wow I didn't know I could do that I didn't know you know I could you know squat 100 kilos like wow like that's amazing like um it's so empowering it develops gives you so much confidence and it just takes the focus completely off of how you look and it's about building yourself up rather than tearing yourself down um so for me that was like one of the biggest things that sort of 
turned around my relationship with exercise as well. Um, just being able to reframe it and look at it like um, thinking about what my body can do for me and looking after it so that I can continue to to get PBs, to get stronger. Um, it's just such a great feeling. Like there's nothing like it. It's, it's um, yeah, and it's so good for people's mental health, even people just struggling with low self-esteem or um, anything. Uh, it just builds so much confidence because if you are consistent and you put in the work, then you will get better. And it's that that reward sort of feedback that you get when that reward loop, um, when you go to the gym, you put in the work and you get better. Um, yeah, and it's just such a great feeling. Um, it's so good. Yeah, for, for people's mental health. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's always good, right? Especially, I think, in, in this day and age, and at least over the last five to six years, I think um, lifting weights more so than anything for, for more so than anyone, like for females in general, seems to be um, a really really good outlet. I think yeah. you know, back in the day, you know, we're talking like you know like arnold and flex wheeler or even the, those kind of people like it's always like males 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 like it's a male yeah. predominant uh hobby you know like i wouldn't i wouldn't even call like i, don't know, I power lift and i know like jade you obviously do bodybuilding kedrick you power lift as well and you obviously play volleyball but i feel like lifting for a lot of people i think i kind of want to stress this is like it's it it, it, it it needs to be a hobby unless you get to a point where like okay like i'm actually going to make a living out of it which you know let's be honest um if we are genetically not gifted which yeah. i'd say 99 percent of us aren't <laughs> it, it has to be a hobby i think for a lot of females the, the i guess the shift from what used to be big strong men uh becomes like oh actually you know what this is a cool thing you know i'll go yeah. into the gym twice a week even like i you know and, and like just lift heavy stuff and it feels good yeah i think the that i guess the the industry shift over the last couple of years um and, and sort of like it the the pre-framing of lifting weights is like ladies look like you it's not you know it's not just about trying to get big <laughs> which yeah. obviously can be it is a good product but by the way like it's very hard for you ladies yeah. to get big. Yeah. Trust, trust me like jay can probably attest to this <laughs> yeah yeah definitely I mean it's still um I think there is definitely a positive shift towards more women getting into um you know strength sports and stuff like that but I but especially like running the gym like and dealing with a lot of Mm. general population clients like there is still very much like this this myth that we like a, it's almost on a on a weekly basis. I'll hear someone You'll say that they don't want to get like, like I don't want to I don't want to get like oh I don't want to squat because I don't want to get massive legs. I'm like yeah, um, I'm like that's definitely not going to happen. Like I've been trying so hard, <laughs> um, but there is definitely still that that um, that perception that females are lifting weights and they're going to look like some like roided up like female bodybuilder <laughs> I think that's still kind of what people think um but I'm glad to see that the, the shift there is definitely more of a shift now towards um more females lifting weights and, and enjoying the benefits of that as well yeah it, it is interesting because like I think that there is value in exercise uh itself regardless of the results you know um yeah. especially for females uh I I use like my mom is an example. So my mom only started like lifting weights like in the past two years and she, she turned 61 like yeah, ne- ne- awesome. next next month, you know? <laughs> and it, it is pretty crazy because like uh, traditionally like uh, parents, especially uh, like 
Asian parents, they are quite hesitant to like lifting weights, you know, like even like when I was growing up, like when I started lifting weights, my parents were like, oh, you know, like you don't have to do this. You stunt your growth, all the myths, like, you know, throw, yeah. throw out there. And then my mom started lifting weights and then she's like, she started complaining to me and like, oh, like I feel a bit pain here. Why is the pain not going away? Then I asked her, how often are you training? I was like, oh, uh, five to six days a week. I'm like, dude, you're training more than me now. I'm like, and I said, like, maybe think about like backing off a bit, you know, yeah. think about having rest. And then I'm and it, it does show that, you know, may, starting may be hard, but like once you actually feel like you're getting stronger, you actually enjoy it. You, you come to the point where my mom, like who absolutely didn't like do any weightlifting at all and was kind of like against it, started training like six days a week more than me to the point where I have to ask her to stop. It used to be, she'd be like, oh, don't go to the gym, you know, stay at home and study. Obviously now, now I have to say, oh, stop going to the gym, right? So don't, yeah. don't get caught yeah. in Malaysia. <laughs> yeah. So that th- there is some form of uh like uh value in exercising itself. So yeah. that 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 is really uh interesting because I think like I wanna like shift the conversation a little bit more to the self image part, right? And I'm just like I'm asking questions. I and if I don't if any of the questions sound offensive, I don't mean to. I'm just trying to like dig a little bit deeper because all this yeah. is really fascinating. I never really had a conversation yeah, no about this with anyone. So from uh, from what I've heard, you we we you said that oh you look at these ladies and you you want to like strive to be like a certain way and that caused a positive effect for you, right? However, like I do think right now in this day and age of social media, we see a lot of like uh younger uh females when they look on social media and obviously the standards of social media is like widely uh unattainable, right? Not to mention the amount of like filters they, they they kind of do you know and people don't uh yeah they don't put things into context for example they'd be like oh cool you know jade just took this photo sh- photo uh shoot after her bodybuilding show and like she literally like dieted down to this but they think ah this is how she looks like every single day you know like when females they go online yeah. and they look at this and then they have that uh like you say distorted image of what someone should look like you know uh yeah. i'm not saying that they would develop uh anorexia bulimia but how much would you say that uh let's just say if i'm i mean you're doing a bodybuilding show now right yeah. let's just say if you couldn't look like what you want to look right i'm not and this is like a like a counterfactual let's say alternate history you were going through that phase and you're having bulimia and then you look and you started lifting weights right and then yeah you still uh maybe let's just say your standard at that time was just like almost impossible to reach right yeah uh, how would that play uh, a role, you know, or how do you think that would play a role in where you would be now? Because obviously it's quite easy to say for you now, it's like, cool, I have anorexia, I have bulimia, I saw someone who's lifting and then I strive to be like that. I achieve some form of semblance like that. But there there will be people where they see their standard and maybe their standard is way too high and it probably take 10 years for them to reach, but they want to reach it in like a year. And then when they don't reach that, that standard like they will feel really like demotivated and potentially spiral back down so for that someone what would you uh what would your your advice be to them yeah or yeah yeah um so yeah i guess for me like i was very i guess there is you know there like you said there's a positive side to social media and then there is a very negative side to social media as well um so for me i was, I was very lucky that 
the people that I was looking at on social media, it was like a very much a positive influence. Um, and there definitely are people out there who are putting out good information. Um, and it's about strength and health and performance. Um, I think that I was more attracted to those accounts and I was following stuff that made me feel good. Um, so you just have to be very careful because I can definitely see how um, there are a lot of accounts where people are put, yeah, like you say, posting images of themselves and um, they look like they're stage lean all year round. And um, that's definitely something I want to promote, like on my account, is making sure that people know that this is not a sustainable way to live year round, that we don't look like this year round, that it's normal and healthy to have body fat. Um, and I guess I would say to someone who um, maybe has seen more of that side of social media um, and they're trying to, I guess, improve themselves is honestly just unfollow and blog and find people on social media that represent um, health. Um, it's, it's hard to know really who, like who sometimes who is putting out good information and who's not, but um, anything that doesn't make you feel good, you know, if you're looking at, if you're comparing yourself to someone and it's making you feel worse, um, not, not, inspired or excited or motivated if it's just making you feel terrible about yourself because you feel like you're so far away from that then that's definitely probably someone that you shouldn't be following um you know you're in control of your feeds you're in control of what you choose to engage with on social media um so that would probably be my biggest advice i guess is to find accounts that, that are you know I, there's definitely a big movement like body positivity and um there are a lot of like really cool accounts um, like showing normal healthy bodies um, as well, but you, you do have to go out of your way to, to look for that. Um, so I think knowing that and educating yourself about social media is really important um, and knowing um, that when you see bodybuilders and their stage photos, um, that that's a snapshot in time and that's not, that's not year round. Um, and that there are a lot of sacrifices that go into looking like that and they're not, uh, it's not pleasant really. So it, you feel like shit, um, you know, as, your mood's all you over the probably, place. As, as you can probably tell you're four weeks out, you probably feel pretty <laughs> shitty at this point. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 it's hugely noticeable. Like, um, yeah, just, you don't, you don't feel good. It's not a nice place for, for you to live. And, um, there are definitely benefits to having more body fat. So I think it's important for people to know that, um, yeah, and for me, I think if I hadn't, I think I had to have found powerlifting first before bodybuilding because mm. if it had been the other way around, I don't know that I would have been able to recover as well as I have. Uh, I definitely, I definitely wouldn't recommend that people go um, go into bodybuilding if they do have the history. Like, if, I personally wouldn't recommend that they do it. Um, but for me, I think I found powerlifting. I spent five years doing that, building my body up, um, got to a really good place and transitioning into bodybuilding was more about, I just want to see what I've built. Like I've been working really hard for this. It'd be really cool to see what was actually What's underneath. underneath. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it was just a really, a really positive like transition for me. Um, but I do think that if it had been the other way around, then perhaps it might've been different. So yeah. I yeah. That. I think. I, I actually did want to, I guess, potentially go down that rabbit hole there a little bit because it is very interesting and we hear this quite a lot. Um, obviously, not just from Jade, but, you know, essentially every, well, I wouldn't say every, but a huge number of 
professional world-class bodybuilders and we hear this a lot time and time again in Kedrick um Eric you know, for, for those who don't know Eric uh, Mr. Dr. Eric Helms is obviously Kedrick's uh, supervisor for his PhD uh does talk about this a lot as well where um a lot of the professional bodybuilders uh females and males alike do go through a lot of that I guess eating disorder like let's just generalize the term right? eating disorder like the bulimia um, anorexic or even like body distortion sort of perceptions and I actually have a, I guess the question I have for you there is, you know, you mentioned that if you, if you found bodybuilding first, you might not be where you are, like you, the recovery might not be as smooth or as quick, or you might not be who you are today. And I guess there's this big stigma in, in powerlifting where like, don't worry about what you eat, lift heavy weight, you'll be fine, get strong, live long. Um, <laughs> but it's, how how did your again like going from anorexic bulimic powerlifting and then now so bodybuilding is like a like a basically like a four step phase there yeah how how did your relation food your relationship with food change particularly when you know you mentioned you saw Trish Murdoch lift you're like holy shit I want to get strong how did your relation food relationship with food change from being where you were and then to powerlifting and then the last five years was like holy shit my body is really strong. But how did your relationship with food like evolve? Because like yes. I can see probably right now, and I'll you know uh, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, and I'll say this with uh, quite a level of confidence here. Chances are, coming out of this next bodybuilding show that you, you have, you're probably not going to spiral back down like you said. But probably it's like cool, like I've done that. It was awesome. I see what's underneath. I'm going to resume back as you said, holistic eating. Whereas um, if you did find bodybuilding first, that might not be the case. So, yeah. yeah, maybe talk us through that. Yeah, so, um, yeah, so I think, so going into powerlifting, um, that really helped my relationship with food because um, it, was, it wasn't about restricting all of a sudden. It was about, oh, I actually need to eat more so that I, because, you know, if I'm not fueling enough, if I'm underweight, I'm not going to be able to lift as much as I want to lift. And that was a huge, like, motivating factor for me to change my behaviors and my habits around um eating and all of a sudden it was like oh okay like you know that piece of you know those lollies are actually going to give me some carbs to help me lift more today like it's not about oh no that's that's bad um I can't eat that or that's going to make me fat it was about oh this is fuel for my body so I guess it was thinking about food as fuel moving into powerlifting um and about eating enough um and eating enough to build tissue and to put on weight um as a positive thing so so that was like the transition into powerlifting um and I have um always tracked my macros so for me it's tracking my macros is uh quite a helpful tool isn't it for me I find it gives me freedom because like flexible dieting it's it's it means I can eat whatever I want basically um with and still achieve my goals um and I know that's not the case for a lot of people but I did find that like, when I tried intuitive eating that I would automatically sort of revert back to not eating enough um if I'm not tracking my macros generally um I won't eat enough food so for me that was like macro tracking and, and finding flexible dieting um that was actually really like a helpful part of my recovery um, because suddenly it's like you've got data, you know, I need to eat more to put on weight, um, you know, I 
I need to eat 2,000, 3,000 calories um, to achieve my goal. Um, and it's not scary. It's just like, it's just, it is information. And it just, um, for me, it allowed me to actually eat more. Um, so, so yeah, did that answer the question? Yeah, yeah. That, that, <laughs> and yeah, yeah so that, that's kind of like, for me, it's just that whole, even bodybuilding, um, like you're not going to, um, in your off season, you're not going to make any improvements unless you're, you know, eating. Yeah, yeah. off season is like the, yeah. the kind of time where you just eat up and then like, even for powerlifters, I always tell every powerlifter, yeah. just cutting weight, like, you know, um, it's the reverse of bodybuilding. Yeah. <laughs> Ironically, yeah. it's like off season, cut. And bodybuilding, <laughs> off season is bulk. Yeah. And yeah. bodybuilding, it's on season, cut. And powerlifting, on season, don't cut. Yeah. Bulk so, if you can or maintain. <laughs> yeah. Even in both sports, like there is an aspect of you need to eat to fuel. Um, obviously, in power, bodybuilding, then there is a period of time where you're dieting. But um, there is, there's a, for me, it's like a positive thing where it's like you, you're not going to, if you want to make improvements between shows and you need to come out of your dining period, you probably need to spend more time in a surplus and you in a year than you do dining. Um, if you want to get where you want to go. So it's, it's, um, yeah, I think it's quite a positive thing where it's, as long as obviously there's, I do know that a lot of competitors struggle with like that reverse dieting, um, and seeing yourself coming from stage lean to, uh, not stage lean can be quite, um, mentally challenging, um, for a lot of competitors, um, regardless of whether they've had past problems with eating before. Um, but I think that's just where you've got to go back to that mindset of this is what needs to be done for me to be healthy, for me to achieve my goals, for me to grow and improve. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it's quite interesting. So I think oh, like when we talk a little bit, when we, yeah, when we talk a little bit about like, uh, you, you don't think you would do as well if you have found bodybuilding first uh, compared to powerlifting. It's just, uh, what strikes me is that I think humans, we are very like, somehow we, we are goal-oriented, right? Or we need something to look forward to, you know? When it comes to bodybuilding, right? We know that when you first start, right, uh, you might not look like, you may not look a certain way. Uh, all the people that get like heaps of like lights and like views on social media, They've been training for years, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. they've been training for years. And that was one thing when I did my first, because um, I'd been training, like doing powerlifting and lifting heavy for, for probably four or five years before before I did my first combat. And I was thinking, I'm going to be huge. I'm going to get lean. I'm going to be like jacked. And then I, then I did get diet down. I was like, oh, hmm, not as big as I thought I was. Mm, um, yeah. <laughs> but I might need to do another off season. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, yeah. It's quite interesting. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's also interesting because like for most of my uh, clients, nutrition clients that I coach, a lot of them, they want to lose weight, all right? So most of them come to, come to me when I want to lose weight. And I find that, yeah, you know, uh, losing weight isn't as difficult in terms of goal setting because uh, based on the current like literature, right? The, uh, the scientific literature, you said you can lose right 0.5 to 1.5% body uh, of your body weight per week, right? Depending on how much weight you have to lose. Whereas for muscle gain, it's 0.5 to 1.5% per month, right? Mm-hmm. And it basically means that you can lose weight. You Okay, not lose weight, but you can see change, yeah. right? When you lose weight four times faster than when you're trying to gain muscle, you know? Yeah, for sure. Right? So, and when you lose weight, I know scale weight is not everything because like I said, uh, being aware of what the scale weight means uh, matters as well. But when if let's just say if you actually 
lose body tissue, you can see it on the scale qu- quite quickly. Whereas yeah. if you're trying to gain, you don't really see it as quickly, you know? Yeah. So I think when it comes to, like you say, bodybuilding is that we don't have really have a goal. Uh, you don't really have a short-term goal, right? Uh, so f- you, if you were to stumble upon bodybuilding first instead of powerlifting, uh, it might not be as helpful for you because you'll be consistently like focusing on like the like you would try to create like short-term goals for yourself i think people people like that like cool uh what am i doing am i eating right so that would probably cause you to have like more eating issues whereas for powerlifting especially when you start you'd be like man i feel so strong because i'm like really milking all the newbie gains five kilos every session (laughs) putting five kilos on the bar i feel great you know so that that goal of focusing on i mean i'm not saying lifting more weight is strong, but just feel like that sense of empowerment, right? Focusing on that self rather than whether it's weight on the bar, whether it's muscle gain or fat loss, all those are kind of like external, but focusing on yourself, right? All that sense of achievement is essentially what uh, helped you through because yeah. like I said, uh, uh, anorexia and bulimia is like a distorted image of self, right? Which means that you need to get a good picture of yourself to help yeah. you get through that, right? So, uh, whereas, like I said, bodybuilding, because it's so slow, right, it may actually distort that picture of yourself worse because you feel like I'm not doing well because it's just... It's, but it's just not... It's not your fault. It's the nature of the sport, you know? Right? Yeah. Just, be- just because uh, someone... Uh, like, you're just... You're, you're comparing something long-term to, come to something short-term. So, I think from what I'm hearing, you say that you kind of have to anchor your achievement on something more than the external results, whether that's how you look or the weight on the bar, because you said you felt strong, right? Yeah. And that tells me that I'm not trying to doubt whether you are strong or not, but let's just say if you lift uh, 50 kilos to the outside world, people will be like, oh, she's just lifting 50 kilos. She's not that strong. But you said you felt strong and that's all that matters if yeah. you want to actually mm-hmm. have Both a positive things. image of yourself, right? So... I think that that's like something that's like super important to drive home to to all our listeners because at the end of the day, it's just you need to know that you are making some form of progress and you have to have be happy with that progress. And I think when you are doing bodybuilding, the context in which you frame your progress has to be very different. We it's also very nice to see now social media, like especially for uh natural lifters out there posting that cool right. Like five years ago, I was this body weight. Five years now, I'm the same, but I look more muscular, right? Yeah. To the outside world, if I just tell someone, oh, five years ago, he's this weight. Five years now, five years later, he's the same weight. People are like, ah, he didn't make progress at all. But if you actually compare that he actually gained muscle, he or she actually gained some muscle, but it took freaking five years, you know? And most <laughs> people cannot actually like... Fathom the idea of just yeah. lifting for five years. Yeah, it, exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's I just, think... Like, if you were trying to attain, like, an aesthetic goal, like, for me, uh, like you said, like, and you, you know it's going to, you look at a photo and you see it's going to take five years. I don't I don't know if I would have, that would have been motivating enough for me to, like, stick with it. Um, whereas with powerlifting, yeah, like you say, it, you, you're making progress all the time. Like, even when you hit the toes, you know what you're working towards. There's a goal there. Like, and, and it's, ne- it's, it's never ending, which I guess you could look at as a negative or a positive, but for me, that's a positive thing. There's always room to... There's always another kilo. There's always another, um, you know, a rep that you can get out. And um, that's, to me, like, 
setting performance goals is even for bodybuilders, I think in the off season, it's a good tool that they can use to, you know, set performance goals rather than focusing so much on, uh, oh, I'm getting fluffy or whatever. It's, um, you know, oh, I did an extra rep on this or I added 10 kilos to this. Like I'm getting stronger. I'm building new tissue. Um, definitely having performance goals, um, I think is super helpful. Yeah, hundred percent. I, I think I also want to like, kind of like talk a little bit about, uh, like your nutrition like mindset instead of like shifting gears away from the performance goals and the actual lifting and like how people look but uh, we kind of briefly talked about it just now when uh, Chung asked you the question but my, my my question is that you mentioned right that right now you track you're tracking macros right and you have that freedom but and to, to some people it may seem counterintuitive but I like I like to use this analogy for example let's just say if there's like a park right and the park doesn't have like fence or, or like a boundary, right? Parents might potentially think, okay, this is like not safe. I'm not going to let my child uh, go out there because they, they might run like everywhere and then they get lost or because there's no like gates. But yeah. when there's a gate, the par- parents will be like, okay, cool. Now there's a gate. I can let my child run, you know? So yeah. even though one, one situation may seem more free, right? Mm. Without any boundaries, but the child will not be able to, to, to run, you know? But whereas if you put some boundaries, they can run within that boundary. So it sounds like it sounds like that to me when you say, cool, right? Tracking macros give me that sense of freedom. But now I also want to kind of like talk about not just uh, tracking macros per se, but more about what happens or your awareness when it comes to tracking macros because you said you can eat anything you want. And I'm pretty sure that you don't eat K-Fry or Maccas every day, even though you can eat whatever you want. You could probably, it could probably fit. <laughs> yeah, it could fit, but you would feel like crap, you know? Like I yeah. usually tell my clients, I say like, yeah, tracking macros would uh, let you eat whatever you want, but what you uh, what you eat would make you, would make you feel, it would decide whether you feel great or not, you know? Yeah. So how do you balance that, a sense of uh, tracking macros, eating whatever you want, and also the awareness of food yeah. that you put into your body. Because I think that when it comes to eating, like I said, creating that awareness can also be some form of progress. Because you talk about like intuitive eating being hard. And I think that if we say intuitive eating really loosely, everybody that has not been on a diet has been doing intuitive eating, eating. Because I'm eating intuitively and sometimes my intuitive eating causes me to gain weight you know so how did you create that awareness i think that tracking macros allows for the creation of uh awareness towards food and so how did how do you balance like cool am i just mindlessly eating or am i creating awareness and i know that when it comes to in season sometimes for like bodybuilding prep you just have to eat mindlessly because there's only so much food you can eat especially as you approach the show but i'm talking about let's say you're out of prep, right? Or before you even started bodybuilding because you said you have been tracking macros for a while now, but you only started yeah. bodybuilding very recently. So maybe you can talk a little bit about your experience tracking macros while yeah. you're not in prep. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I think, like, first of all, like, the people have this idea of flexible dieting and there's this kind of, like, mis- misconception that it's like, I just feel as much put as much crap into my diet as I can possibly fit within, um, which I don't think is a true like representation of what flexible dieting really should be. It's still, at the end of the day, 
you're still the number one focus is still health right like um you still want to be a healthy person you still want to be like an adult and eat your vegetables and um treat and it all comes down to like Damn it, i have to eat my vegetables as an adult <laughs> Damn it. sometimes sometimes <laughs> once a week um <laughs> but um yeah so i for me um uh there's still a focus on health so there's still um, and I like to eat a lot. I have a big appetite. And so even when I'm on, even in my off season, when I'm eating like 2000, 3000 calories, um, I'm still eating a lot of vegetables because I still want to feel satiated. Um, you know, and I still want to, um, feel full. And, and like when you're dieting as well, like you've got to, you've got to think about not just what I want to eat, but what is what I'm eating? How is it going to, um, help me achieve my goals? How, how am I going to feel, um, if I eat, uh, you know, McDonald's for breakfast, lunch and dinner, like, um, is that going to make me feel good? So, yeah, for me, like, and in my off season as well, like I'll do, I will, will have like maybe one or two meals out a week um, where I just eat wherever I want. I don't track. I just, you know, have a burger and fries, a dessert, whatever. Um, and for me, that's like, you know, a good balance. That 80-20, 80-20 balance, I guess. Like most of the time, for the most part, I'm eating pretty clean, like, um and and but still foods that I enjoy so that's where like flexible dieting is like you don't have to have like fish and rice if you don't like fish and rice you can have um you know whatever whatever is your preferred sauce like if you like tuna have tuna but it's about being able to have a variety of foods you know um and foods that you enjoy eating it doesn't necessarily mean crap shit food (laughs) um but obviously we all like some of that every now and then again and it means that when you feel like something like that you don't have to restrict yourself um you don't have to go back and like for me that was one of the biggest keys was if Mm. when I was when I'm not tracking it's like oh no I can't have that like because I don't know I'm not tracking but whereas when I found macro tracking it was like I really feel like some chocolate and whereas in the past it would have been like no I can't have that it was like I'll just put it in like I'll just make it fit like if I want I'll just have it um and that was where the freedom aspect comes in is like kind of like uh mentally freeing knowing that you know, if I do get a craving for something, if I want to have a burger, I can have it if I want it. It's it's about it's not about restriction, but you still you still want to be eating well most of the time. But you can allow yourself those things if you want them. That that's that's the key for me is that, is that balance is why I found macro tracking so good. So I'm still eating well. You know, I'm still um, fueling my body properly. But it means that if I do want something, then I can have it um, without feeling restricted. Um, mm. and I love food. Like I love going out and eating. So it's, um, <laughs> like in my off season, I love it. And it's like, I also found like when I started lifting weights, that was another thing. I was like, wow, I can eat so much food. Like, this is amazing. Having muscles great. Like, no. um, yeah, so much, like so much better than doing endless hours of cardio. Like, yeah. Able to eat. Yeah. More. <laughs> I think there's like a really, really good quote out there. Right. Like, I think that kind of sums up really, really perfectly on what you said there, Jade, with, so like macro tracking and obviously like with what Kedrick said as well with sort of like intuitive eating, it's like freedom isn't necessarily absence. Freedom isn't the absence of boundaries. It's just yes. having that ability to operate within yes. a set boundary. And I think like that's kind of like a really good thing because like, for example, if uh, again, like yes, relationship with food is most important. So let's assume that an individual has already sort of establish the fact that cool understand what's healthy and what isn't healthy then if you give them like a set boundary of like cool like hey uh 
whatever, Mary, here's 2000 calories. Um, you know, these are some of the, the foods that I want you to eat, like, you know, eat your vegetables and eat your meat. Now, outside of that, like if you have some extras and you want to, you know, have a hot chocolate or have a piece of marshmallow, sure, that's kind of within a boundary. And I think that's where potentially where you found, Jake, where you find that the freedom really, really sort of shines there because, oh, cool, I can get to my goal. I can be healthy, but I also can enjoy eating out. I think, um, yeah. yeah, would you, and, would you and, say that's kind of where you're yeah, at now? Yeah, definitely. Um, and I know that, that that's not the case necessarily for everyone. Um, I like, especially for a lot of gin pop clients, like that's, I wouldn't necessarily say that everyone should track macros. Some people would just do better by just improving some behaviors or mm. um, just adding in some vegetables or um, just those small little behavior changes that not everyone necessarily needs to track macros. I think it's just about finding what is right for you yeah, um, and everyone's different. Like uh, like a lot of my clients, um, yeah, I won't have them tracking macros right off the bat. We might start off um, just like, hey, how about you just try drink some more water, eat some more vegetables and increase your protein and we'll see how you're going then. And then I do like to, um, you know, move them towards tracking macros because I do think for most people it's a good way to to go, but not everyone needs to do that. And some people feel that that's more restrictive to their lifestyle than, um, you know, other things. So I think it's just about the person and their goals and what they're wanting to achieve as well. Mm. Yeah, that's for sure. And I think like... And like, there are probably a lot of, you know, again, like depending, dear listener, especially if you're sort of like watching this as well, and if you are someone who has been lifting weights for a very, 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 very long time, and you know, let's use the assumption there that you are already really, really strong, um, or maybe you're listening to this and you're actually classified as a gem pop, so general population where you don't actually lift weights, um, but you are trying to get healthy. I think what Jade said there's very important. Like, if you aren't hitting those like standard um what do we call it health practices you know yeah. like your three to five a day veg you know your two to three liters of water a day yeah you know especially in, <laughs> yeah. uh, for auckland right now everyone's like, cropped in and i'm like dude just go for, for a bloody walk yeah um like if you're not hitting that um then you know probably tracking macros is sort of like a, a bit step too far but yeah. You know, if you are someone listening to this, um, like Jade herself, and you know you've been lifting weights for a long time now, or you know you you are sort of getting to the point where your relationship with food, I think that keyword that's very important, your relationship with food is very very good, and you understand like cool, like if I eat more food, I'm gonna get fat, and you, you kind of need to understand that if I eat less food, I'll get less fat, and once you sort of you know you're able to I guess dissociate yourself a little bit with the emotion, um, then I would probably say cool, um macro tracking will probably be really really good because it is data you know and you can work off that it's going to be a lot more accurate um and i think you know with most gem pop clients what i generally like to do at least is like take them through like you know like a, a good you know three to four months of not tracking macros they're like fuck like i'm stuck but i'm feeling really good sweet now they're feeling really good let's check in the macros there and then all of a sudden like oh my god like it's a whole new like like a whole new world i'm like yeah cool yeah I, I like what you said there about taking the emotion out of it like it, it it's just data it's same as like weighing yourself it's like for some people that's not a great idea but if you're able to just like take the emotion out of it and just look at it as data then um yeah it just becomes another tool that you have in your toolbox but um yeah it just depends where you're at with that stage but if you are able to um sort of detach from the 
the emotion. That's the hard bit. <laughs> it is the hard bit. That's the hard um, But then you can just look at it as what it is. It's just data. <laughs> it doesn't actually have any reflection on you as a person. It's just information that you can use. Yeah, true that. Yeah. All right. So I think the conversation has been really enlightening and I'm really happy that you managed to sh- share some of your personal experience with uh, all of us. I think uh, the, the listeners would definitely benefit a lot. So to end this, we usually have one question where in which we ask all our guests. Um, so we started the conversation with someone uh, with your history of uh, anorexia and bulimia. So for all the listeners out there who know someone or might potentially be going through what you have gone through, let's take it back to square one. What is the first thing that they should do that could positively change their life? Um, I think just getting help. Um, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to reach out because um, it can be super isolating. Uh, and a lot of the time you don't know where to look, you don't know where to go. Um, and a lot of the time, the pe- even the people around you, your family, they might not understand um, what it is exactly that, or they might not know how to help you. Um, so definitely reach out to someone. Um, I'm always happy to point people in the right direction or, you know, listen. Um, I think a lot of times people can just help by just being, just listening. Um, but definitely, um, reach out, get help, seek a mental health professional. Um, that would definitely be the first place that I would start. Even just telling someone, you know, telling someone close to you that you trust, um, just doing that, taking that step can set you up on a path towards, recovery just by taking that one step and, and letting it letting it out letting someone know that you're struggling um yeah that's a good a good first place to start yeah that that's great so um for all our listeners out there maybe you can share with them where they, they can find out find you or find out more about what you do or if they like you said they, they want to reach out to you regarding uh this particular topic where how would they be able to reach you um, probably the best place to be my Instagram, so jade underscore powerlifts. Um, also, Strengthworks Kerry Kerry um, for the gym and anything that we do there. Um, and yeah, yeah, probably Instagram. All right. Yeah. Thank you very much. So, uh, for all the listeners out there, please do give Jade a follow if you need to reach out to her. Uh, please, please do. And th- thank you all for listening to this episode. I hope that. It has been helpful. Uh, thank you, Jade, for being here. And for all the listeners out there, if you like it, if you enjoyed this episode, please like, share. If you're watching on YouTube, uh, please subscribe. And yeah, give us your support. And thank you all for listening for to today's episode.